0: Let me me open by just saying, uh, in the book of Acts, kind of our theme text. Thank you, uh, David. Appreciate you. Uh, The book of Acts, let me kind of give you the context for this series, okay? Uh, In a nutshell, Jesus has come on a mission. And in this mission, his mission was to die, to go to a cross, to die, to pay for the sins of humanity. Today, we're going to talk about why, okay, why he had to do that. But he came on a mission, and then he ascended. Ascended means to go up. Uh, To heaven, and everybody was looking at him in Acts chapter 1. Two angels come and say, Why are you guys looking to the sky? The same way he went up, he's actually gonna come back down. Okay, so he comes down as a child, he lives to die so that when we die, we can live with him forever. And then he leaves, thankfully, he leaves us the Holy Spirit. That's a series coming up in the summer, but he's coming back. Everybody say he's coming back, and we know not when, but I can tell you what, it's soon. And so in this particular series, I'm going to answer three of the biggest questions that people have. And these questions we'll answer each and every week. Today we're going to talk about a question that really is major, and I'll get to that in a second. Next week we're going to talk about what's so important about the resurrection. Why is it such a big deal? Why is it the Super Bowl of Christianity? And then the following week, you don't want to miss the week after Easter, we're going to talk about the question, when is he coming back? What does the Bible have to say? About the return of Christ, so you don't want to miss that, Amen? Amen. Well, as I get into today, let me open with just kind of a, a, a an example or a personal illustration. I'm talking to my grandson, my my oldest grandson, Zion Z Zinu uh, We have all kinds of nicknames for him, but Zion just turned five years old last week. I can't even believe it. And we're we're uh, we're always we have full conversations all the time, like really significant conversations. But now they're starting to shift. Now it's moving to uh, this thing that some of you who have raised kids, some of you who have grandkids, you know, you, you get a second round of this. It doesn't go away, the second round. But the questions that always come up is, why, Poppy? Why? You know, why, do, why can't we do this? And why, can't, why do we have to do that? And, and I try to explain something. And why can't we walk out into the street? It's not that. But they're always asking why. Why about everything? And you, you give the answer, and then they'll say, but Why? And it just never seems to end. And so this is not relegated just to children, though. We all have and still have these why questions in our life. And I thought about some. I was laughing to myself on my couch last week, just kind of writing some stuff down, some why questions that I had. For example, if an orange is an orange, then why isn't a lemon a yellow? I don't understand that. Like, why? Why? This is one that really got me. This one just happened in the moment. Why is it that when the remote control doesn't work because the batteries are getting low, we continue to press harder? Why? Why? Right? Guys, you do the garage door opener too. Why? Why won't you open? Why won't you open? The batteries are dead. But we keep trying to make it happen. Why, Why do we do that, you know? Another one I had was, is, first of all, isn't it a bit unnerving that doctors refer to what they do as a practice? Yeah. Why? Why is it a practice? Why do they get to call it practice? These are questions that I have. Why is it this one, this, this one I thought of the other day. Why is it that when it's raining, we raise our shoulders? <laughs> what, do you think we're going to get less rain? Like it's not going to hit us as much if we raise our shoulders? And these questions and more, they're not life-altering questions, right, everybody? But, but Barna is a pollster. Barna did a poll of, of, of thousands of people and asked them this, this, this question. If you could ask God a question and he had to give you an answer, what would the question be? And the resounding number one question that people came up with is, why is there so much suffering in the world? Why is there so much suffering in the world? And I'm going to attempt to resolve, maybe not answer, but resolve that question. And I'll say, just kind of skipping it ahead, it's really resolved in the death of Jesus Christ. So that's kind of where we're going, and I'll try to explain that to you. And our question of the day is, why did Jesus have to die? More specifically, why did he have to die on a cross? That's what we're going to talk about today. Why did he have to go through that mocking? But they were insulting him, hurling insults at him, and spitting upon him and, 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 and mocking who he, who he really was. And why did they have to shame him in such a way? Why was there so much abuse? Why did they um, punch him, slap him? I don't know if you've ever been punched in the face before. But he was punched in the face. It's not like we watch the movies and we see people punched on the face and they're like, mm-hmm, you know, and they grit their teeth like tough guys. No, it's not like that in real life. You get punched in the face, it hurts. It hurts really bad. And, of course, he was whipped. He was, uh, we call it the scourging, with a cat and nine tails, 39 times to the point where flesh and bone and marrow were just being ripped out of his back. Huge, painful, the torture. And then also, ultimately, of course, pierced through his side. And ultimately, Jesus didn't actually die of all of those beatings and all of the scourging. He died of suffocation. Most people who were crucified died because they couldn't hold themselves up anymore and their lungs would collapse uh, under the, their, own, their own body weight. And I'm not going to talk about all of the gruesome elements of that today, but I just want I to just, just, just kind of hit on it for a second. But he didn't just go through all that pain as if that wasn't enough. The Bible says he also bore upon himself the iniquity of us all. So I don't know if you understand, like, and I'm going to try to do that a little bit later, but he not only went through this horrible suffering, but he felt the weight of all of our sin upon him, according to the book of Isaiah in prophecy. In other words, no one has ever gone through suffering like that. You know what it's like to have anxiety. You know what it's like to have stress. You, but, but what about when you didn't cause it, but you're carrying all of it? That's, that's a whole nother level. And the question is, why? Why couldn't he do what you do and I do every single day? Why couldn't he just say, I forgive you? Why couldn't he just say, I forgive you? You, you do this all the time. When you're wrong, you're wronged by someone. And someone has done something to you. And something, somebody's done something against you. Uh, there are many times in your life where you just choose to forgive them. You just offer them forgiveness. Sometimes there are people in this room been hurt pretty bad like really bad like marital uh wounds uh, uh, from divorce and and business dealings where you've been betrayed and and somehow some way you learned or you came or you you decided to forgive and 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 we've all Not all of us, but some of us have got the Sunday school answer on why Jesus had to die. We were sin and sin separated from God. And so God sent his son into the world to bridge the gap and and make a payment for our sins so that we could be in right standing with God. And and many of you guys had that Sunday school answer. But here's the problem. If we're intellectually honest, there's another question. Why would God come up with a system that would require something like that of his son? Why would God say... He has, my son, my one and only son has to die. That seems kind of cruel. It seems kind of crazy. And you're like, Pastor, I don't know where you're going with this. Hang on, I'm getting somewhere. Why does God uh, make us go through, or, or uh, not us, but him, go through something so gruesome, so crazy, where sin equals death? Like, I don't understand, God. Like, like, how did you come up with this system Were you up in heaven and you look down and you're like, hey, uh, son, look at, look at this. Because of their choices down there, we're separated. I can't be in relationship with them. So, son, you're going to have to go down there. You're not going to like this, son. You're going to have to go down there, and you're going to have to die for their sins. You're not going to like it. It's going to be tough. And, you know, Jesus is like, Dad, uh, can we talk about this? You know what I mean? Like, what, like is that what happened? And God's like, yeah, no, it, that's what you're going to do. That's how it's going to go down. Why couldn't God just change the rules? Why couldn't he do, I remember when I used to, I didn't do a lot of this, so don't judge me, but I can remember going to the roller skating rinks, you know, and there were times where, like, certain people had to get off the floor, right? It's like, just, just the adults, you know, it's adult skate, and all the kids have to get off because we were crazy and chaotic, and, and, and I couldn't wait for the announcer to get on the PA system and say, all right, it's all skate, you know, everybody, everybody on the floor, all skate. Remember, it's the same way with pool, like the public pool, which nobody does that anymore because we know why. Uh, But remember when they said, like, everybody can get in the pool now. Why couldn't God just say, I'll skate? Why couldn't he change the rules? Everybody's in the pool. Why couldn't he say, everybody's forgiven. Everybody's okay with me. All roads lead to me. Why, why Why couldn't he say that? I remember hearing a story of an incredible... Um, experience of forgiveness Uh, a a new couple newly married uh, they get pregnant shortly thereafter they have a child but as the child is being delivered the doctor who comes into the room unbeknownst to them had been drinking and was intoxicated this is a true story but as the baby was being delivered the, the, the doctor goes to catch the baby and drops the baby on the floor on its head and skip ahead The baby suffered brain damage for many, many, many years. The rest of its life, to my knowledge. And somehow, some way, this couple decided to, chose to, I don't know how, forgave the doctor. How is that? If that, let me say it like this. If that is humanly possible, why can't God do that for you and me? Why can't he just forgive that's my setup for this theological discussion that I want to have for you, taken from Romans chapter 3. Do I have your attention, everybody? Yes. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Here's what Paul says uh, to the, the he's, he's, he's talking to this early church, and he's basically saying newsflash, new situation, new circumstance. He says, surprise, now... Going forward, verse 21, I'm going to unpack verse 21 through 26, and I'm going to creepy crawl through this. So if the text goes up there, that might help you. But Romans 3, 21 through 26, Paul speaking. But now, everybody say now. now. Righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known. So Paul's saying that for you to have right standing with God, here's what he's saying. There's a new way for you to be Okay. <laughs> It's, it's not about rules and, and, and regulations anymore. Every major religion in the world up to that point, and frankly, after that point, has always been you're okay with God, not by something that someone did for you, but you're okay with God by what you do, your works, your efforts. Your keeping of the rules and regs. Is everybody with me? And Paul's saying, new deal, new approach. Now, it's, it's not about that anymore. There's a new approach, and, and it doesn't entail keeping all the rules, to which the law and prophets testify. So Paul's saying, the prophets were telling us this was going to happen before it happened, verse 22. The righteousness, or you could say right standing from God, comes through faith. Everybody say faith. faith. In other words, it's not coming through performance. It's not coming through what you do. It's coming through someone you believe in, okay? It comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So because of this new approach and because of you having faith in Jesus Christ, you can have a mano a mano, face-to-face, direct relationship with God, and now you don't have to go through someone else. You can go directly to his throne of grace and find help in your time of need. Are you with me, everybody? So it's not your performance it's not rules it's it's not what you're doing it's in who you are believing in now verse 23 it says there's no difference remember that word no difference for all everybody remember all all fall short of the glory of God so the good news is in the past some people did a good job keeping the rules some people didn't do a good job in the rule keeping the rules and Paul says it doesn't matter anymore It makes no difference because it's not about that. All have sinned now. All fall short. All don't measure up. It doesn't matter anymore. Your performance is irrelevant. Everyone gets in the same way because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Are you with me? And so this idea, all have fallen short of the glory of God, I don't want to get into verb tenses, but there's two verb tenses in here. And what it basically is meaning is somewhere in your past, you know this to be true anyway, you sinned. And consequently, in your present time, you fall short, you don't measure up to God's standard, by the way, which is, get ready, His glory means perfection. So somewhere in your past you messed up, which we all know we have. Not only that, you were born messed up according to original sin. We don't just inherit good things, we inherit bad things, we know that to be true, right? Okay, and so because of that, you contrast that now to God's standard, which is His glory, which is perfection. Well, PD, who can measure up with that? Exactly, no one. This is Paul's point, and this is where he's going. All right, which leads us not to doing something; it's going to lead you to someone. That's what happens when you get this. I call it heavy revy about this. Okay, let me let me put it like this. I am not an archer, but, but, but I've seen it. I've done a couple times. But if you were in an archery contest where you were trying uh, to win it, let's say the standard for the archery contest was to win it or to go to the next level, you shoot five arrows and five in a row have to hit dead center. The only way you can go to the next level is five in a row, bullseye, OK? So contest begins, you draw back, whew, bam, you miss. But the next four, whoosh, 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 you make them all. Did you meet the standard? No. no. Because the standard was five perfect bullseye. You could have hit nine in a row, 15 in a row. Doesn't matter after that point what you did, but because of the original standard, you fell short of going to the next level or of winning the contest. That's what this verse, that's a picture or an analogy of this falling short of sin means in your life. Somewhere in your past, we know it also would be true if we're really honest in our present. None of us woke up today, you know, just perfect. Between the time I woke up and the time I came to church, I've been perfect today. Just want you to know. Well, if you think that, you just broke the rule. <laughs> are you with me, everybody? Verse 24, it goes on. It says, so we all fall short of the glory of God and are justified. Everybody say Justified. That means, that word means just as if you never sinned, justified, great definition. You are justified freely. Does it cost you anything? No, because it's, it's free. You're justified freely by whose grace? His grace through redemption that came by Jesus Christ. So what's this all about? Okay, you're justified, you, you, you have this free gift that makes you and gives you the ability to be in right standing with God. It's through redemption. This word redemption, you know what it's like to redeem a coupon or a gift certificate, right? Yeah. Five people know what it's like. Praise the Lord. Have none of you ever had a gift certificate in your life? Okay, thank you very much. I have so many, I sometimes I don't know what to do with them all. <laughs> so you're like, well, then can you talk to me? Uh, you know, See me after. My wife and I will give you some, okay? But if you're going... When you get a gift certificate, eventually you go to redeem it to get a gift. You redeem a gift certificate to get a gift, all right? And so you redeem it and you get something for it. That's what this is referring to, okay? But it's not just referring to that. That's not the only thing that it's saying because here's the thing. The gift certificate didn't cost you anything, but it cost somebody else something, So your redemption was a gift to you, but it was made possible by someone else. Someone had to pay for that gift certificate. Are you with me? It cost someone something or somebody something. But who and what was the cost is what we're here to talk about. And the payment of your sin was paid for by the death of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And I want, I want you to get this. This is good theology, amen? Yeah. Verse 24 says, God presented him, that's his son, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Let me unpack this for you because I'm giving you like 25 years of theology, right, in like 10 minutes, okay? But this, this word atonement, I, I try to make it easy. Just like justified means just as if I never sinned, atonement means at one with. Another thing atonement means is to cover over. So the atonement, what Jesus did for you on the cross by paying for your sin is referred to as the atonement. Because of what he did, the shedding of his blood, you can now be at one with God again. You're no longer separated by your choices, your sin, your past sin. Now you can have, you have the invitation to have... A relationship to be one with God again and regarding your sin the atonement covers over your sin so that it's not even visible anymore because of the precious blood of Jesus so Jesus God sees your sin no more it's literally invisible to him because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ through the cross are you with me everybody it's invisible everybody that's how powerful the blood of Jesus is so the atonement provides Certain things for you. And, and this is for the, the pastor, preacher, teacher, study people. Uh, sometimes this is referred to as propitiation and expiation. Propitiation means he became a substitute for you. That is, he paid, he made a payment for your sin. He got on death row for you. So you didn't have to. You didn't have to use your own life. That's propitiation. Ex- expiation is where he not only deals with the consequence, but he clears your conscience. Because, see, a lot of people have had somebody take care of the bill for us, but we still feel guilty that they paid the bill. See, Jesus didn't just come into the world to take away the debt, but he also wanted to take away the guilt. How do you get that? How do you receive that payment there and that payment here? By faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for you. Are you with me, everybody? Oh, my God, this is so good. Verse 25, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. So you get it through faith in what his shed blood did for you. He did this, everybody say he did it, to demonstrate, that means to show his justice. He did it to demonstrate his justice. Why did he have to die? To demonstrate that God is just I'll unpack this, okay? And it says, because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand, unpunished. That means something that happened before. He he let them off. It seemed like he was letting them off the hook, but he didn't. He was just being, he just waited. He was delaying the payment, okay? So God is just. And you know what? Truth be told, you're glad he is. Everybody... Probably believes he's just, but there's something inside of us that looks at situations around us and says, if he's God, doesn't he see what's happening? Doesn't he see all this suffering? Doesn't he see all this pain? You know, can't you squash that guy in all of his pride, God? Can't you heal that girl of the cancer? Can't you fix that problem? Come on, it's easy for you. Can't you make me single no more? You guys need a little Laughter. Can't you solve this money problem and make it rain? You know, come on, God. Eliminate AIDS, famine, earthquakes. Like, God, do something. Prove yourself. Show me you're just. People are thinking this all the time. If you're so just, then why, 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 why? Do something, do something. The reason Jesus had to die is precisely for these reasons that I mentioned and thousands more. He had to die because he's just. He died to fulfill justice. Now listen, I hope you guys are still with me. Here's, here's what's going on. It, he's just so, so in a pure justice system, somebody has to pay. The reason he had to die is because in a pure justice system, there has to, there's consequences, and there have to be payments for those consequences. In a pure justice system. The reason you don't have to do it, get this, is because you're not subscribing to a pure justice system and you're not pure enough to do it. <laughs> pure justice doesn't let people off the hook. Pure justice does not let people off the hook. You can let people off the hook, but pure people or pure person, unadulterated justice can't do that. So for years and years and years, the message through the Bible was, in so many words, the consequence of sin is death, but nobody died. Adam and Eve sinned; they kept on living. They didn't have to pay for their sin as a result uh, with death. Many, many people thereafter for generations thereafter, for years and years and years, people disobeyed God, and it looked like they were getting away with it, and you still get frustrated, and I get frustrated sometimes that there seemingly is no penalty for certain people that get away with what they do. We see people that do evil, and we can't process it, right? But here's the thing. God answers it by saying, I am merciful, which is one of his attributes. I waited but I am just, and so I sent Jesus into the world to pay for sins, past, by the way, present, by the way, future, to validate and authenticate and prove that I am just. So in my mercy, I overlook sin for a little while, but because I'm just, eventually somebody had to pay, and the only person that qualified to, be, to make that payment is my son, Jesus Christ, in order to fulfill this pure justice system. Jesus died because God is just. Can we just give the Lord praise for this truth? I hope this is connecting with you. All right. He goes on to say, he did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies. What? Those who have faith in Jesus Christ. So not only is he just, but he's the justifier. So he's going to make the payment, but he's going to make a way for you to escape the responsibilities of your sin. He's just, and he's the one who makes it just as if you never sinned. He's just and justifier. I am both merciful, I'm a God of grace, and I'm a God of justice. I let it go for a while, somebody eventually has to pay. I'm both sides of the solution. And so he had to die because your sins deserve death. He can't just say, I forgive you, we've gone over this because he's just. And you can do that because you're not in a pure just system and you're not pure enough to do that. But he pays the price himself on behalf of us. All we have to do is accept it, listen, and appreciate it. All you have to do is accept it and appreciate it. So here's three things I want to give you, three key truths. Watch this, it's going to be super fast. Why did Jesus have to die? I've already taught this, but now I'm going to summarize it. And I'm extrapolating three things to help you get what we just talked about. Why did he have to die? Because of his mercy, he delayed payment. Why did he have to die? Number two, he had to die because of his justice, he demanded payment. Somebody had to pay. Number three, because of his grace, he made the payment. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't that kind of make you want to do like cartwheels in the spirit? Like God did, he's just... But he provides provides justification for all of us, okay? And so some of you are still not getting it. And I think it's because we got to talk about one more thing. And and this is is a little harder for me to explain uh, because this is a deep theological conversation. But I think people think, or you will think when you go home if I didn't address this, PD, uh, one more thing, PD, i got one more question. You're trying to tell me my sin deserved death? Wait a minute. You mean my mistakes in the past deserved eternal separation uh, from God? Now, I think if we're also honest, you all would say, sit here and say, I know I've done some things wrong, some pretty bad things. Yeah. Some of us would say, some of them even deserving a punishment. Yeah. Some people might have even been punished. Some people might have done time for the things that they did wrong. But at the end of that road, you, you probably will come to a conclusion if you don't see this right and you're looking through the wrong lens, but it still deserves death? My sin? <laughs> Do I have everybody's attention? Okay, so, like, I think sometimes about my, my bride's sin, you know, her. I don't think about her a lot. Let, just let me finish this Say She's got a short list, and then I think about my sin, my list, and we don't got time for that. Right? In other words... Here's, here's what happens. You, you sometimes look at other people's sin, and, and it, it can get you in trouble. Uh, but whatever you do with your sin or your, your spouse's sin, you think, death penalty? That's what the God's word is saying? For the most part, I think about my life, and I think all of my public sins have been forgiven. Public sin. There's a few crazies out there that haven't forgiven me, I'm sure. Because relatively speaking, I'm just going to use myself pretending I'm you. Relatively speaking, I'm a good person. I'm a pretty good guy, you know? And, and, and uh, you know, in this I contrasted against this depraved world in which I live and, and all the crazy things that I see, my little drop in the bucket, sin deserves eternal separation? If God is just and sins must be paid for, why so severe? Am I so bad? And here's what separates us from all the other belief systems in the world— And I, this is, like if I had a drum roll, this is a big moment. I hope you guys can capture this. But our inability to grasp the holiness, purity, awesomeness, majesty of God leaves us at a place where we underestimate the significance of our sin. That's the problem. The problem is we compare our sin to other people's sin. We, we, we see our sin as relative to everyone else we relate to. And, and I look at my sin in that context and, and all of that sin, and I feel reasonably okay with myself most of the time. You might see your life on some kind of a scale where there's at least more good than there, that there is bad. I'm no Billy Graham. I'm no Mother Teresa. But I'm not him, and I'm not her, and I'm not that person. And here's the problem is God looks at our sin not in contrast to you and everybody else. He looks at your sin in contrast to him. Holy, pure, innocent, spotless, perfect, majestic. But Pastor Derek, I, I hear you. I hear you. I get it. It's in my head. And then I, and I go from there. I'm like, Jesus, I get it too. But how do I grasp the, the, the chasm between that, you and me, how, how do you fill that in? What do I do? And I thought about uh, an experience I had with my daughter, Mallory, my oldest daughter, Mallory, uh, many, many years ago. She was four years old. We lived right down the street over here, uh, 89 Pleasant Street. Uh, it was chaos because the whole church could show up at our front door right after church if they didn't like the message. And, <laughs> but I remember four kids, young family, balling on a budget. Uh, we bought a minivan. And I knew my life was going downhill when I had to give up and buy a minivan. But we bought a minivan. It was a nice minivan, Mercury Villager. It was beautiful. And remember, we'd only had it just a very short period of time. My daughter's going to our Christian school. Uh, My wife was there at the time as a teacher. And she's learning how to write as a four-year-old. Well, unfortunately, she came home from school, and she didn't have any utensils to write with. And so she chose a rock to write her name on our new minivan. Praise the Lord. Do you guys get where I'm going with this? <laughs> Who needs prayer? Me. And so, I come home from school, and and I and you know when you have multiple kids, they all rat each other out. And so, before I even got down the hallway, Dev, you know, rats her out. Dev, did you see what Mallory did to the minivan? You know, thanks, Dev. Appreciate that. What? And so, uh, to confirm what actually happened, I go outside, and I peruse and I view and I take a look at the minivan. Sure enough. She's taken a rock and written her name in multiple places on the vehicle. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, you know, this is going to cost hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars. And is insurance going to cover this? And I'm going to have to get a rental car. And we have four kids. And how are we going to do without? And where's this money going to come from? And I'm, I'm going through a litany of of, of, of concerns and and." At the end of it, I'm thinking to myself as I'm walking back into the house to get Mallory to hang her from one of the trees outside. No, I'm just saying to, to communicate with her. I'm thinking how, listen, how do I communicate the significance of what she's done as a four-year-old? Can she, can she possibly, Mallory, do you know what you've done? I mean, I'm, I'm playing this out in my head. Mallory, can you, do you know what you've done? Do you understand the significance of your sin? Can I communicate it to my daughter in a way that she would understand? Absolutely not. I remember going through she she she, she can't she doesn't she can't pay. She doesn't she she's bankrupt. She, doesn't, she, she has no money. She doesn't understand money. She's so far away from me and my understanding of what she's done. So far away. And all I could do was say, Mallory, honey, don't write on cars with rocks, <laughs> pens, pencils, anything. Nothing. Don't write on, okay? Don't do that anymore. Yes, sir. Yes, daddy. Yes, sir. I'm so sorry, daddy. I'm sorry, daddy. And then she just hugged me. And that was it. <laughs> that was all she could give me. It's just that. I couldn't ask her to pay. I couldn't ask her to pay. She can't handle that penalty. She's so far away from that. Not even close. There's nothing she could do. And so I thought, you know, God, how, how do I, not how do I, but how do you help us see the significance of our sin? What do we do? And I think we need a moment where we connect to the significance of our sin. And the way that he gives us that moment, listen, is through a meal. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come at this time because we're gonna have communion in just a minute. Different people throughout the Bible, you can read your Bible for yourself, have these moments. Burning bush experience with Moses. One time Moses is saying, God, I won't show me your glory. God couldn't even. This is this is this is a man who is God's friends with. He called Moses a friend, but there was a moment where Moses wanted to see him, and God's like, you can't look at me. Isaiah, who who was a good man, says, I'm a man of unclean lips, as he's trying to understand and grasp the glory of God. John the Beloved in the New Testament reclined at the in the breast of Jesus at, at the supper and, 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 and he was super close, maybe the closest one of all the disciples. But later in the book of Revelation, there was a time where the glory of God was being revealed and, and John couldn't even look at him. He thought he died just trying to grasp the glory of God. Are you guys tracking with me right now? Some of you need a moment with God where you see where he is and where you are and what he did for you to bridge that gap. He did a lot. And when you do have that moment, you'll be thankful. You'll be thankful. So with with every eye open, I want to turn the lights off, and I want to play this video. And I, I hope it just kind of for a second transfers what is going on when Jesus died for you and when he died for me. Would you play that video for me? your eyes father i pray in jesus name that you'd be present with us i invite the very spirit of jesus to accompany this memorial we're going to partake of in just a minute known as the lord's supper and i just ask that you impart supernaturally an awareness of our sin in contrast to your perfection and for those of us who called upon the name of the lord that we'd be so grateful we'd be so thankful With every head bowed, every eye closed remaining, if you're here today, I want to give some of you an opportunity to receive Jesus right where you are. Because here's the thing. He came as a savior, but one day he's coming back as a judge. And you may not realize this, but heaven wasn't created for you. Excuse me, hell wasn't created for you. Heaven was. Hell was created for the devil and his followers. Heaven was created for you. But for us to go to heaven... We have to decide now to let him, Jesus Christ, pay for our sins. Now, sir, man, boy, I pray that you're listening to what I'm saying. I say this in love. You can pay for your sins later or you can let Jesus pay for your sins now. And so if you're here today and you've never let Jesus Christ be the Lord, the Savior of your life, the one who made that payment for you, you've never had right standing with God, not because of what you did, but because of what he did. And you want to put your faith and trust in what Jesus Christ did on the cross, not just for me, but you want to make it for you. If that's you today, you've never done that. I'm not talking about people who've done that before, but you've never done that before. I want you to raise your hand and say, pastor, that's me. I don't want to go another weekend, another Sunday, another hour, another minute. God bless you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Anybody else? Good night. So I see your hand. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. Church, would you pray with them? And those that raised your hand, would you pray this prayer? Say, Jesus, thank you for your shed blood for my sins. I agree. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, including me. I repent of my sins. I thank you that in your mercy you delayed payment, but in your grace you made it. And you made it for me. I received that by faith in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen Amen and amen. Listen, you've received a communion cup right there at your seat. During this next song, I'm going to encourage you at any moment that you are ready. You've had your moment with God. You can take the elements during the song, okay? But the Bible tells us, because we've really just been talking about this. By the way, if you did not get elements, just raise your hand. We'll make sure that our ushers help you. We want everybody to be able to have that. Raise your hand, and they'll get that to you. We believe in an open table, and so as long as you've asked Jesus Christ into your life to be your Lord and Savior, we encourage you, take this communion. We have an open table. If you maybe are just not where you need to be with the Lord, make things right with God right now. Repent of your sin. Just ask God to forgive you, and and don't take this meal lightly. This is a very significant meal in the economy of God. This is a very important divine meal that has tremendous benefits to you. Healing to your body and and communion with God is all possible through this particular meal. But I'm praying for a revelation for you while we sing this next song at any moment. Let me pray over these elements. Father, I thank you for the bread. I thank you for the blood. I thank you for your body that was broken for us. On the night you were betrayed, you told us about your body that would be broken. You told us never to forget it. You told us to remember. So Lord, right now, Lord, we, we, in remembrance of you, we remember that your body was broken on that cross 2,000 years ago for each and every person in this room. I thank you, God, for your blood that was shed for my sin and for my friends that are in this room and many that will listen. Lord, thank you for the blood. And I apply it to my life right now in Jesus' name. And everybody said Amen and amen. At any point in time when you feel ready, you take the cup. God bless you as you participate in communion.